I mean he's an impersonator. A fake. We interrupt this broadcast to bring you the following urgent announcement. You, yes you, put down that oversized bottle of Scrumpy and listen here. Do you like being entertained? Do you like television? Well, do we have the show for you. Built for people who love TV, where three rapscallions dissect two television shows, one old and one not so old, for a probable audience of one. It's time for Hardly TV History. Hello and thanks for tuning in to Hardly TV History, the show where three idiots talk about two television shows for a probable audience of one. My name is Shannon and as usual, joined here by both Christian and Jake. Hey everybody. And uh, and thanks for joining us on this uh, momentous occasion. This is the mo- occasion where off air Jake told me that I'm terrible. Uh, so <laughs> Technically it was on air. Um, it's, off, it's off air, it doesn't matter. It, it was on air, but yeah. Do you know what, what's not terrible? Well, These yes. two shows. <laughs> These two shows are not terrible at all. Uh, joined by, uh, look, it's it's a pretty loose connection. I feel this one. I feel like this is the first connection that's not great, mm. unless mm. you push on with the shows. <laughs> unless, <laughs> unless you get deep in. Because what we're talking about is uh, the blacklist and Mind Hunters, and I was watching Mind Hunters going, "Where's the connection?" But we'll mm. get to that. Yeah. Connection uh, comes. Connection comes. We'll get to that slowly. We know that you'll keep watching one of these shows, so we knew that you would get there eventually. Yeah. Do we? That's, we how, that's how confident I was. We should probably spoil that a little bit and explain that the connection is that it, they're both shows featuring the FBI, specifically, or you know, the, the government, yep. the police, law enforcement, working with criminals in order to catch other criminals. That's kind of mm. the vibe, but I agree. You don't really get that in the first episodes of either of these shows. At all. At all. Really. At all. Well, well, well not ne- I, think, I think it's more present in the first one than the second one, but I think it's, it's, absolutely, it, it, it's absolutely imperative you keep watching one of them to see the link. That's all I'm saying. Mm. And, and to, look, going back to other ones we've done, we've certainly done How I Met Your Mother and Game of Thrones, which was dependent on you watching the entire the no, entire series. series. So it's probably not the first one we've done that hasn't quite paid yeah. off. Oh, I just wanted to do Game of Thrones. That's all it was. Yeah. 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 Um, and the link was, oh, the, the, the catch, the link that was in the show was you had to watch to the end of the show and then you also had to agree that they were both, both of them terrible, <laughs> which probably That's isn't right. that unlikely. To, <laughs> it's hardly TV history, the only show we, we make you watch 48 hours of TV to yeah. make a decision about what whether we're right or not. Before, Knowing you won't do it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, we make you work for it. This show is not is not for the faint-hearted. We know that our audience are really dedicated TV watchers. They are, and they know that they'll just wholesale accept whatever nonsense we put on on the page. Yeah. So let's talk. Oh, we, we, we've decided, and we've also left our conceit that one of these are old shows and new shows. So we're just Black, throwing Black, everything out. Blacklist is 2013 premiere, and Mindhunter is 2017. So we're technically still okay. Okay, but they're both still active. Yes, they are. <laughs> We're expecting more series of both of them. Mm. Um, they are both on Netflix, at least here in Australia, which is yep. quite nice. Convenient. Um, and so you don't have to go to some dodgy video sharing site to find any of these, <laughs> these two shows, which is an, also a nice change from what we're sending you to. We don't have to go onto, onto the black web, the deep, dark, dark black web, web to be able to find it. Don't hang out with so, Ryan Reddington online. No. So let's talk... Let's talk Blacklist first. 
Jake, you've got Blacklist. No, no, Christian's got it this time. No, I've, got, I've got Blacklist. Oh, I, I, Jake I, is doing Mindhunter. <laughs> yep. So I'm more than happy to talk about Blacklist because it features one of my favourite actors. All right. So The Blacklist is a pop spy thriller featuring James Spader, basically playing James Spader. The premise of the show is that the FBI are working this international espionage mastermind called Raymond Reddington. They're working with him to help capture other super criminals that the FBI are interested in, you know, high, high level terrorists or money launderers or whatever it is. And uh, Raymond Rennington is helping them capture them or tra- track them down for his own reasons, which aren't really kind of explained. And, and there's eight seasons of the show already out. So the idea is, I guess, that they'll unpack that as they go further along. There's a whole heap of stuff with another agent named Elizabeth Keane who gets dragged into it from, from nowhere and they don't really explain too much why. They kind of hint that she might be Raymond Reddington's daughter, but they don't really explain that in the first episode. So that's a, that's a bit of a hook. Does that sort of sum up the first episode and the show in a kind of really yeah, broad sense? Yeah, that's a neat little package. Um, they, they give you a lot of information in this show to start off with. They're, it's mm. kind of fast paced. They don't really stuff around with backstory and dialogue. It's kind of like, here's what's happening right now deal with it which i which i really appreciate about this show they don't they don't take five years to get into it within 30 seconds you've kind of got a seven style uh walk into the police station and surrender moment yep. with uh this, that that opening couple of minutes mm-hmm. is probably the best introduction to a character on a on a tv show that i can remember like that that hooks you in from that that first moment of him checking into an fbi asking to speak to a particular agent yeah, and then getting ready to surrender while they work out who even he is. Yeah, and he just takes his jacket off, calm as you like, stands right on that emblematic symbol of the FBI that everyone's seen in every you know FBI thriller ever, mm. and basically just gets to his knees, puts his arm like it is so good, and it 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 says volumes about that character without much dialogue at all. No, like, no, yeah, but it's also done. By James Spader acting as James Spader, like Raymond Reddington, I feel like he's just a vehicle for Spader to be himself because he plays that role so so brilliantly, and it kind of has echoes of some of James Spader's other roles. Like you kind of see this eccentricity from the character he played in Boston Legal, um, and also the when he played Robert California in The Office in the in the later seasons, he was also a really eccentric, bizarre character, uh, very sophisticated and refined. And and that's what Raymond Reddington as a character oozes. And I, I agree that introduction is sensational. And uh, I think the visuals and the imagery help convey so much more than just a simple dialogue would tell you. But we're not getting... You, you know that he's been... Sorry, we're not, we're not getting really big Seven vibes on that one. It seemed like it was so inspired by the movie Seven for me. Like, it just... Everything about it, from no one really knowing what was going on, to him surrendering, and then everyone realizing what the hell's going on, and jumping out of it. I, I mean, in, in the best possible way, because that, that's a brilliant scene in Seven. And I think this is almost done even better than that. By the way, by the way, he just acts so. Yeah, cut. I think in Seven, it, it a comes out of the blue with Seven is that, you know, they're not particularly good police officers or in in Seven. Like you're watching kind of them way behind the eight ball in Seven. And um, it comes out of the blue and there's no sophistication to that character. Like he looks grimy and he he doesn't look like, he kind of looks like the stereotypical serial killer. Raymond is dressed to the nines. He's in a hat and big, he's, he oozes sophistication just by the way he's dressed and the way he holds himself. He has a very short piece of dialogue with a character outside the FBI building talking about, coming home being home so yeah. you know that he's been away for a long time without 
someone saying, gee, I'm finally back after 25 years. Like you don't get any of that kind of, you just get a, it's nice to be home kind of deal. He walks in, it's clearly been such a long time and he's such, he's so well hidden that the other FBI characters that are checking him in don't immediately recognize the name. But the system completely goes bananas as soon as they work out who he is. He's already surrendering. Like he's he's already getting ready for them for the response that he knows is coming. And then the FBI list there's it's their old photos. They're very old photos when he you know, when he had back when he had hair and um, yeah. yeah, it was it was, it was they were very old photos. So clearly they haven't updated their intel for a very long time. But Spade is just about one of those only the only people who can carry off that level of confidence. Like yes. everything he does, every movement feels deliberate, and he just oozes that confidence and that appeal. He's super charming, even though we are supposed to be wary of this guy. Yeah. And may I say, they do give him the most ridiculous, pathetic sounding kind of um, nomenclature by calling him. Um, what is it? The concierge of crime. Yes. And I just went, oh, that didn't need to be said. <laughs> There's a better way of saying that. I just, of crime. I get what you mean. It actually sums him up very well. He mm. is effectively, um, he's a link person between the criminal enterprises and other criminal enterprises. Yeah. Um, and so he, he is, if you think about the John Wick universe, he, I think he's the, like the Ian McShane kind of, per, he's the, he's the guy that gets stuff done. He's the doer. Yeah. But I don't know if I'd call him the concierge of crime. But if you've got a problem, you, you a problem in the black market, dark dark web, or whatever, you'd call Raymond and he'd hook you up. Well, basically. no, you wouldn't necessarily unless you were high up enough to know who he is, and if you're important that's enough to know who he is, you know, that's that's a pretty big deal because they they really make out that he's not sort of playing with mid tier or low tier sort of characters. He's playing with the big ones, the guys who have like state backing and um, a, a pretty pretty. I think uh, Trump would call them bad hombres. <laughs> he basically says though it's, he's in his own words that he's he's ahab and if you want the big whales you need to go to him that's right or people you have no idea even exist yet yeah that's how big these people are and i think that that really shows the, the level of um importance that he is mm. i i really like the juxtaposition between that character entrance mm-hmm. and the character ent- entrance of um of megan boone's character um the okay. female whose name i've elizabeth forgotten Keen. Yep. elizabeth Keane. um the juxtaposition of her character is she is she was late on her first day you know there's there's light spilling into that room she's played as a very angelic kind of character who's mm. who's just starting her first day in this new job she's got this idyllic life with this husband they're talking about adoption there's a dog in there somewhere you know, as well there's a dog. It's all very playful. That whole thing is like, like from a fans. different show. Yeah, like yep. that. That whole scene is like I was. I flipped on a different TV show, mm. and then all of a sudden, she's dropped into this universe. Because Raymond, Raymond or Red, let's just call him Red because that's what the show calls him. Red yep. will only speak to her, and that's one of the conditions he articulates very early on. And the FBI take him into a basement somewhere and lock him in this see-through cell type stuff. And that's where some of my problems with the show started popping up because some, some of it is just so over the top. I mean, we just talked about how great the entrance scene is and it, and it really is. But as you go through the episode, more and more outrageous, unrealistic stuff happens. You know, like this this guy appears and the, 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 
Raymond's Red Red Dobbs in this this criminal who's coming into the states, and the the feds thought he's been dead for six years, but he's actually still alive, and that's already been unrealistic. And the level of security they got on him, holding him in some CIA type black site thing underground in this see through cell type type yeah, thing. the slowest opening cell ever. It, oh. It's it's Hannibal it's yeah. Hannibal Lecter stuff. Like, what are you worried about? He's going to eat your face? Yeah. Yeah, cell opening took forever. Yeah, and there's like 20 guys around with assault rifles pointed at him at all time. It's just very over the top, and that that over the top vibe follows through the entire episode because we we get taken on a on a on a journey where Red talks about um, a young girl, a child is going to be kidnapped, and she's a child of a navy admiral or something, and. Um, Elizabeth goes to pick up this child, and then there's this great scene, like a like a a, a roadblock has been set up on a on a bridge, and the motorcade is dis, is is distracted and and um, moved on in a different detour around it around it, and then an ambush happens, and it's like something out of a war zone. There's IEDs going off, there's um, dudes running out with assault, with assault rifles and shooting out all the FBI cars, and there's people with gas grenades and then a, a perfectly timed boat rescue comes in to extract all the guys like military style operation. And I'm just sitting there going, there is no way in hell that is going to happen. The level of coordination and, and expertise required to pull that off is beyond even like most States, probably the only ones who could do it would be like, you know, um, uh, special forces from somewhere like the United States. And yet this just happens in Virginia or Washington DC or, or wherever the, the, the show is set. And no one sort of, Bats an eyelid, and I just found that that kind of uh, that kind of um, excessive excessiveness just a bit too much and a bit immersion breaking. Yeah, it's it's action it's action film, isn't it? They've yeah. gone from an interesting kind of psychological spy show, and yep. they they went to James Bond action film, which I didn't think it was really need to do because you were so hooked in the premise very quickly. Yes, and then you turn into action film or True Lies. Yeah, mm. I think you guys are right. I think you've both hit on it. Is that I'm getting there's a lot of very cinematic movies that this is drawing from. I got great Hannibal Lecter vibes mm. with the criminal talking to the naive profiler, which is exactly Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. Yeah. The, the 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 surrender is is absolutely from Seven, and there's a bunch of sort of true liesy actiony films that it wants to play. And this mm. is all in one episode. It can't pick a genre to start mm. with. And I feel like it could have been a very tense, um, you know, if he's taking down big, big criminal enterprises, it does feel a little bit, again, I think the problem with the first episodes is that they're trying to set stuff up, but they're also giving us kind of weak B plots. Like yes. the, the plot is just, well, who? it's a kid that got kidnapped and there's a bomb and whatever. I mean, the intrigue that's underlying here and there is obviously massive intrigue is what's going on with her husband mm-hmm. um, and, and what's what's the connection between her and Red. Yeah. Those two are, are clearly at play and they yada yada the first person on the blacklist yeah. um, to, just to get us through to that intrigue. Because even why Thomas, her husband, ended up getting involved in it is kind of a bit yada yada as well. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I agree. And that intrigue and and that sort of longer storyline, that story arc, is what we're actually really interested in. That's what we want explored and, and to be revealed. And you're right. The B plot with the child is kind of less important. Do, but do we need uh, a, a B plot that needs to be wrapped up in one episode for these kind of shows? Because I feel like, how many bad people can there be in the world that Red's <laughs> going to target to to warrant 
what now 171 episodes. Wow, this is, but this is the formulaic issue, right? Like this is this is exactly what this is. This is a monster of the week. Mm. Mm. This this is what this show is, and so there is an overarching global plot that'll run through the first season. Will likely be what's going on with the husband will yep. probably be the, the flavor through the entire season and potentially the entire run of the show will be what's going on with red and her. Like yep. you can sort of see it setting up. It's, it's putting its ducks in alignment very quickly. This is effectively X-Files without the supernatural stuff. So every week red will have a new guy on the blacklist yep. that they'll chase. Right. And that's what will happen. And with, with a couple of three or four episode arcs thrown in. And so you know, in this particular episode, the B plot doesn't matter. No, it's not important. Yeah, and probably why we got a fairly but skeletal B plot is that we needed to set a whole bunch of stuff up. I'm surprised that we went with the husband's dodgy this early. Yeah, I mean, I think an offhanded comment by Red is one thing, and then to kind of blow it in the end of the first episode is really quite interesting. And and, and I think it's it's really no given really i think that it's like well we're gonna throw everything at you mm. and whatever sticks and what you like is what we're gonna continue on and i just i i the, th- the problem with, the problem with the shows like this is that the james spade is so f-ing good that you don't care <laughs> like i honestly didn't care about any of this I'm, I'm thinking every time he came on the screen or i heard his voice i'm like mm. tell me more well that's tell me more red yeah the the, 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 re- the beat plot as we're calling it to me is just filler and i could take it or leave it and, and just in fact, I'd skip it if I really had the choice because I'm not really interested in the monster of the week. And it's the risky run with this monster of the week thing. And if you if you're doing it in a for, in a in a genre that isn't actually explicitly fantasy or sci-fi or something where people are are willing to suspend disbelief, the problem is they're using real institutions, real places, real issues. You know, terrorism and global crime, the money laundering, all that sort of jazz, people trafficking, etc. Then people are expecting a level of realism. And when you have over-the-top like uh, heists and gunfights in the main streets of major cities and and um, people with apparently able to draw on unlimited amounts of SAS-style or Special Forces-style um, people at, at zero notice and with being able to infiltrate the country, it ruins that immersion factor and it makes it very difficult to carry on. And I just keep thinking about, um, for Australian viewers, I remember a TV show called Blue Healers, which was a, an Australian police drama set in a small country town called Mount Thomas. And that show ran for years and years and years and seasons and there was criminals every week. And, and the, the running joke in the media, of course, is that Mount Thomas is the highest crime centre in the entire country. Because it's just an insane level of murders, crime, drug busts, all sorts. Yeah, if you get stationed to Mount Thomas, you're effectively just signed your own death warrant. Like, <laughs> you're either going to die or you're going to be crooked and thrown out of the force. Like, that's the only deal. <laughs> but what, I, what I find interesting is the, the shows take the characters and kind of make them superheroes. And that's yes. where it kind of comes to display. Because if you're if you in a ridiculous car crash, that guy was going very, very fast, hitting her full impact, hmm. it's very unlikely she's going to be conscious. Yes. Let alone able to shoot a gun and... You know, no no debris fell on her, and then she just climbs out like nothing's wrong. Like no broken bones, nothing. That's where you start to lose the immersion in, in a very serious TV show. Yeah, and that's the that's the biggest problem with that. And I think what they were trying to do with the B plot in this one was trying to show that James Spader knows all. Mm-hmm. Uh, red, sorry, Red knows all, and can and is one step ahead of the one step ahead of the FBI by already organizing a bomb diffuser to be at the park because he's already figured out that's where it's going to be, and he's already one step ahead of everyone, or he's got such good communication that 
he's already knowing what's going on and, and helping her. But uh, he, again, you the, the timing factor, like they, she had three minutes to find the bomb. Yeah, and he's already got a guy there, and it's it's just so convenient. It's oh, so yeah. action movie. It, it, but it's and, lazy, uh, isn't it? From a from a script writing point of view, it's taking shortcuts. That is the best way to describe it, Christian. It, it is lazy writing to get to your end goal, and I think that's really disappointing in a show that could have such high promise. The 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 show's issue, particularly in its pilot, is also its worst is its strength is the fact that James Spader is so engaging that they and they don't focus on any other character. You get redheaded stereotypical FBI dude mm-hmm. um, and and stereotypical FBI director dude. Mm. And that's kind of all you get, right? And so, and you get her husband, Thomas, and you get, you get her. So anytime Spader's not on screen and she's not on screen, I, there's a big fat meh because yes. who cares about those other guys at the moment? They're not explained. They're just, you know, stereotypical. They'll they'll come into their own over those eight seasons and we'll get yeah. to know them and, you know, maybe even love them. But before that, in this pilot episode, they're just people in suits. And so when you when it's not her and not him, mm. who cares? And I think that's the biggest problem is that he's so engaged and all you want to see is him. Yep. The other issue I've got is it happens h- halfway through is when she gets super goddamn aggressive to the point where she stabs James Spader in the neck with a pen, right? <laughs> that A was not earned. This is her first day as a criminal profiler. I don't know. Rules of engagement and stuff still apply. Yeah. Sure, her you know, her husband got attacked and whatever. That does not give you permission to stab what would be the most critical person that they've ever arrested like this guy's saying i've got so much information he is super valuable and she stabs him in the goddamn carotid artery and mm. says you got about 30 seconds to bleed out <laughs> where did that come from she she's introduced like this idyllic young inexperienced profiler and she suddenly turns into janice wick <laughs> i just i don't get it but I, but I, she he also gives her the choice to save her husband or to save everyone right and clearly she chooses her husband because she gets in medical help, then goes and sees Red, and then goes to the zoo. If you've given that... Old, like obviously, it was planned by Red, I think, at this point. It's pretty obvious that he was pulling the strings to get her where she wanted to go. But when you go, you give an ultimatum, and she obviously chooses her husband, wouldn't you give her less time to get to the zoo? Yeah. But it, it's like it's like <laughs> a fucking escape room at this stage. He's got the same tattoo as the... Sun, the I mean, it's just a bit convoluted, isn't it? Like, surely a simplistic B B plot or simply just him presenting and walking us through what the the blacklist is going to be is the intriguing thing. Like, I'd spend the time setting up the unit and him and potentially their relationship and have some more scenes where they're, they're talking about rather than this bomb plot yeah, like that's that would that's int- he's intriguing enough as a con as a concept, a big fish who knows everyone, every criminal that's any that needs to be known. People they're not even aware are operating. This guy's got intel on them. He's clearly brilliant. Like he's clearly a brilliant mind. That's intriguing enough to me. That first five minutes was enough to hook me to the next episode. Mate, are you suggesting that you would just basically sit there watching a show about with James Spader talk about stuff? 
James Spader presents the blacklist. That's what I'm saying. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that's all he really reads can. the phone book effectively. Yeah, yep, yep. So maybe we um, just actually just watch James Spader. We'll, we'll do a special cut, a director's cut that cuts out all the B plot and all the extra characters. It's just James Spader giving the backstories of the criminals in the blacklist. Job done. But but they they went really hard, right? Like they yep. went like you guys said. It ended up being this over over exhaustive action piece that's kind of choppy and starty. And my intrigue was with Red and the relationships that he clearly has that they don't know about. Yes. He knows them intimately and they don't know him. My, my I've since doing this show I've I've really started focusing on dialogue. I think that's my thing that I really want to focus on when I'm watching these shows and the way James Spader talks um or the character of Red is written is so sophisticated that it makes everyone else look really amateurish unprepared and 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 I think that's what they were going for but I think they went too far. Because I think, you know, you still want your lead um, FBI man who's been chasing him for five years and your director of the FBI terrorist division uh, to be at a certain level. And I just felt like he made them look like such fools that you never have any faith in the system. Yes, you're exactly right. And I was contrasting that in my head when I was watching it with other shows that depict the FBI. And I'm thinking specifically of Homeland, which I'm a big fan of. And they portray the people inside the FBI. Oh, they're talking about the CIA in that particular instance. Sorry, but they portray the people, the characters acting in that, in those roles to be at a different level and they've all got their own individual motivations and their own internal politics because they're talking about big organizations and the characters in the blacklist that fulfill those roles don't really they're not fleshed out you don't really get an understanding of what motivates them they're they're just they're, they're empty suits like shannon says and it's a missed opportunity but they've had to do that because they're spending so much time on this bomb threat b plot with your little girl and yeah it's just I think it's put a bit too much effort into the wrong places. I really enjoyed the part where, where Raymond was kind of saying, here's the information that I've got and you were wrong. Yep. That that part was really intriguing. And I thought if they if they kept going on with that, but going maybe going through a bit of incidents that had nothing really to do with Raymond and stuff that he knew about previous operations to show how smart he was, that's would have been really interesting. But But with the director knowing as much as he did, but missing a few crucial details that only only the the criminal could know, mm. and I think that's where that's where they missed out on the opportunity. There, and they they went for the the crazy B plotters with you. E- effectively, what you've said is that the balance is wrong. The FBI look like absolute numbskulls, and yep. this guy's just brilliant. Mm. And I think that's the, that's the line that a lot of these shows where you've got the genius, everyone around them ends up being completely useless. Yes, you know it's it's Sherlock, it's House, it's all those ones that you've just got. That's why House is given a bunch of graduates like new doctors he's not around other brilliant good doctors and he's just a step above he's like three steps above these guys and Mm -hmm. he can be derogatory because they're young and they don't know anything and so it's the same with this except what we're saying is these guys are the last line of defense against yeah everything (laughs) and they and don't know anything (laughs) he's the director of counterterrorism like you really want to defend your country against terrorists who knows very little and potentially that's why she stabbed him in the neck because that was something he wasn't anticipating is a bit of, well, maybe you are smart, but it just seems, it seems like he, he, he's come in at a, at a hundred and they're at like five. And I just think that the balance needs to be better. Um, And, and that gives it a more grounded in reality kind of feeling like, I can accept that there are geniuses in any given field and he's, he's chosen the, the bad, He's, he's brilliant at being bad. Hmm. These guys should be shown as being brilliant at being good. And that those two joining forces is kind of 
the most pertinent thing but that we see. Being, and yet, being one step below or, or only having the information that a criminal could have is a, is a vastly more interesting show to me. That you have two very well funded, very well um, thought out organizations who are at the top of their field, but but he has a different perspective and a different. And that, that information that they can't possibly know. It would have been a different show, and it, I think it would have been. I think for me, it would have been better. But it probably wouldn't. It wouldn't be the blacklist, and it probably wouldn't have turned out as popular as it as it did. I think that the blacklist has done for its audience is it's blended the action, spy thriller, but with introduced a little bit of that psychological thriller genre into it as well. That's what made it a commercial success. And and if you change it too much. Yeah, this is a dumb show masquerading as a smart show. Yeah. And it's only done through through James Spader's performance that it's able to seem like it's smarter than mm-hmm. it is. Yeah. And it's it's not it's not brilliant or smart by any means in terms of the puzzle that they solve is not you know, there's no aha moment where you go, mm. oh my God, I can't believe I didn't think about that. And it's only because James Spade is so smart and engaging that I was able to think about it. He's a magic man. Like he has information he can't possibly know. And in fact, he actually makes the point, you're just you're here because you're after our intelligence. And he scoffs and says, I'm happy with my own intelligence or something mm. like that. Yep. It's like, you're saying that you don't want access to the entire FBI's criminal network. Like a database, you- yeah. Mm. That's that's ridiculous, you know. Like so, I, I, it is. It's it's a really dumb show masquerading as a smart show, and I think that that's that's fine. It's it's absolute turn your brain off popcorn TV, and it's 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 there. And it, if this would be such a run of the mill show if it wasn't for James Bay, one hundred percent. That's, that's exactly it, would, right. it, would, it would barely pass. It it barely pass. <laughs> it's like it's like those those limitless shows, like the ones where they have that super and. In- intelligent chips in their head it yes. lasts like a, it, uh, there's always those shows there's always one smarter fbi agent or one superhuman mm. person and it lasts one season it always and i think i think this guy this guy that created it's got a couple of those under his belt i i remember that the, the, every year you get a a new police procedural that's got a twist it's it's some guy who's watching all the cameras whatever that one was with jim caviezel or the woman that was completely covered in tattoos that was dropped with amnesia. Everything's got kind of like a hook. Mm. And the hook is that this guy is is the access to all the criminal network and he's now going to work with the FBI and he's got a list of people that they're going to slowly knock off. That is a is an intriguing enough kind of concept. And then they're like, oh, by the way, that guy's played by James Spader. That's that's the tick, man. That's the, yep, yep green like that. Yep. And that's why it's gone for eight seasons. Yep. And it makes me wonder, do you think in a couple of years' time, once it's sort of finished airing, is it going to wind up on daytime TV and just be the next JAG? It's yeah. it's it's better than JAG. It's better than JAG, but it's, it's exactly <laughs> what they're looking for. They're looking for rerun, rerun yeah. ability. Is yeah. that a word? I don't know. But... Do you, and do you know what show I got a huge vibe of when I was watching this? And these are shows I haven't watched for a long time, but the other one that got, is Criminal Minds. Mm. Oh, and yeah. and it's, it's a very similar type show where it's the FBI's kind of unit. And as I'm, as I'm watching it going, hey, this is actually a really good link to the other show that we're going to do, Mindhunter, is the behavioural yeah. sciences stuff of Quantico. Mm. Yeah. They they got Manny Patinkin in when, when we're talking oh, nice. Homeland. M- Manny Patinkin was in that first, and he's the spader of that unit, right? Oh, yeah. And he's he's quirky in a different way, and he's the reason you keep coming back. Sure, it's got Greg from Dharma and Greg in it, besides the point. Yeah, that, I mean, the Criminal Minds was more of a, a collaborative event where this is more focused just on James Spader. Yeah, right. but, but that's the first episode... The first episode is that is that group coming together and it's it's a monster of the week. It's another criminal doing criminal yeah. stuff and they go and solve it, right? It's exact these precise police procedures are all the same with one different hook. And this has got a good enough hook with a good enough actor to pull it off. Yeah. And I think that's the difference. Hmm. Now 
let's let's pivot to the other show. Let's talk about let's Mindhunter. It. It's a very different show. We should yeah, say. So, so you, you take take the blacklist and then take the pace and about quarter it. It comes to a crawl in, in a. In, I'm not saying in a bad way. In a, in a different way. So basically, this is set in the 1970s. It's about an FBI agent who isn't happy with the way he's do, teaching his his class of hostage negotiation. And he want, he thinks there's a better way and there's more interesting ways of modern psychological profiling or psychological criminal activity that he can open his mind and create new ventures. And he teams up with another FBI agent who goes to local police officers, police stations, and asks questions and finds out things about um, the way they handle their crimes. That's an awful way to describe it, but that's pretty much just the show yeah that's it and the really fascinating link is is that instructor he you, you just talked about his name is bill i think and the main character's name is holden um holden, yep. yeah holden and bill sort of team up and bill's background is in behavioral science so he's really interested in the psychology of how why people behave the way they do and his class is really focused around trying to get police to change from this concept of our job is just to get a gun shoot the bad guys save the day you know be heroes to really saying well why are they in the situation they're in like what kind of person commits these sorts of crimes and that's where Holden gets really involved because Holden's asking the question of why do why do killers in particular why do serial killers become serial killers that's kind of the idea that that's kind of the idea that that Holden's setting out to explore and you hit the nail on the head Jake it's like if it's a much slower show it's it's more it's a bit more. I think it's very much more considered in, in its pacing and the, the the themes it explores. And if the blacklist is like a McDonald's fast food meal, I think that this show, Mindhunter, is a little bit more like a really well made, wholesome meal that you will enjoy slowly and 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 really focus on and 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 savor as you take every bite. This is steak poivre. This is this is the top <laughs> echelon of food, people. This is, and and there's reasons for that. First of all, it is based in in fact in some some way. It's based on on the book from the very first guys behind the behavioral sciences unit. So a real unit within the FBI. This is based on the book of how they first came about and what they effectively did was they went, which you see later on, but effectively in that book, is those guys interviewed serial killers yes and 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 actually broke them broke down questions and tried to get behind why people were doing what they were doing because in the 70s in particularly in america there were a spate of serial killings that had no no motive or no seeming motive behind them and they were they were unconnected um and so they were they had a spate of these these killings that are all very very well known in pop culture and man with Manson and and uh, and the Night Stalker and a whole bunch of these other kind of criminals that were happening all in those in the seventies. So they were they were really trying to work out why that was the case. And so this is the sort of they already had psychologists and they had a whole unit behavioral sciences unit already set up, but they were trying to these were sort of pioneering work. And so this character Holden is kind of questioning why they're doing what they're doing. The, the reason that this looks is so grounded in reality and looks the way it does is because it was created by and directed by David Fincher. So when we, we talk about Seven in the previous, um, this is why this looks a little bit Seven-esque and, and very much looks to me like a David Fincher film. And so it's paced much slower than a movie because you don't have to wrap it up in an hour and a half. You're effectively you know seeing these characters starting their journey yeah, speaking of pacing, Shane, like you've you've hit the nail on the head. The differences between the two shows is that 
the Blacklist want to throw all the information at you and make sure you understand the concept of the show right away. Mindhunters has gone, we're going to give you everything you need to know about these characters and their reasoning and their thinking and their um, drive without giving you the Monster of the Week. We're not going to give you any of the Monster of the Week. We're going to focus on the characters and why they're doing what they're doing and then go from there. And I think that's that's where the show really differs. Yeah, that's right. It's it's a very different construction. The, the, the shows are put together very, very differently, and it, the, the pace really makes you approach it from a very different angle. I really did enjoy the change of pace because I watched The Blacklist first, um, I think. Yeah, yep. me too. Yeah, yep. and then I watched yep. this afterwards, and it was like uh, it was like sort of uh, you know walking after after running i really enjoyed that that slower pace and the scene the opening scene the the episode opens with a hostage situation that holt is trying to negotiate a guy out of he's taking a woman hostage he's got a shotgun and it actually all goes awry which i found quite shocking because you weren't expecting that right at the start and holden looks like he's making pretty good progress he's got the police to back off he's he's started a dialogue with the guy but then something goes pear-shaped and the dude ends up um turning the shotgun on himself in a very gory sort of sort of fashion um, and that kind of is just a that shock is just enough to get you to sit up and go oh what's going on and then they, they they follow that up with Holden at the academy talking to people about what what's going what they're doing wrong with um, their approach to uh, take looking at serial killers and, and and crime in general I think that the way I describe watching these two shows is watching blacklist on cruise control and then switching to a manual car and making oh, really yeah. focus on what's going on. Analogy, yeah. Because yeah. I think I, I think going from the, the opening scene to at the Academy and the conversation he has with his director is really interesting that you get all the dialogue of where they're at in a in a company or a government perspective kind of sense, way. Yeah. Yeah, how, what their direction is. And and you've got this character Holden who's pushing against that that um that way of thinking and really branching out. Even when he's being told not to, and it's what was the word he uses? Um back Backroom, kind yeah. of psychology is yeah. for backroom boys. Yeah, yeah, and, and he yeah. said, "Well, no, you're you're wrong," and wants to pursue it, and he gets he gets mm. his way in the end, and 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 that's where you kind of you see yeah. Holden for what he's doing. And and I love the juxtaposition between the opening of the character introduction of Holden and the character introduction of Red. Red's introduction is over in about two minutes. Like it's it's fast paced. He is the hero of that moment. You can tell that he is a bad you know, wanted criminal and he's got absolutely takes um, all the air out of that room. It's all focused on him. Holden's introduction, it goes pear-shaped. So it's he's not got the, the hero character introduction. No. He kind of, to me, seems like he's a bit over it. Like mm. he makes a comment. I love his comment about um, we can see that you're naked <laughs> and, and it's cold. <laughs> um, and And... It's like he's kind of, that's not what you'd say to a criminal who's got a shotgun you know, pointing at, someone. got a, got a at someone's head. And claiming to be invisible. Yeah, like he's 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 kind of almost seems like he's over it, like he's he's going through the motions. Um, yeah. And he's already kind of jaded as a, as a young, a, a re- relatively young FBI agent who's been marginalized. He's been put into teaching. He's kind of off, he's not in task force. He's not running anything. He's off teaching and they think he should do more of it rather than be a field agent. They're benching him, And yeah. he's kind of, he's, his career is at a bit of a crossroads. And and I think that's kind of the other perplexing part about this show is we spent so much time on his fledgling relationship, which is kind of strange. No, um, it's not. 
I don't think so. I think it made perfect sense. So finish your, finish your explanation. Like, no, no, I, I just I thought that that was a bit of a juxtaposition. Is that he's kind of fed up in in that aspect? Yeah, he's he doesn't he's kind of at a crossroads. Yep. But he's so uptight and institutionalized, and he won't he, he wants to question authority, mm. but he's kind of can't. And yeah. I think maybe the, the 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 relationship is kind of his expression of that manifesting itself as kind of him trying to get away from that. Yeah, box. partly. So, so he meets a, a young woman in a bar named Debbie, and he meets her after talking to a, another guy about behavioural science. He who he walks past the lecture room and sees him talking, and stops and listens to him, and invites him out for a drink so he can pick his brain and, and ask him about behavioural science type stuff, which he does. And then, then meets this this young woman, and um, they 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 go through a very long pickup scene and a, a very uh, back a back and forth boring sort of conversation but she's kind of not doesn't seem interested in him but kind of does and it, it's a whole thing but the long and short of it is i think she's the vehicle because she starts questioning him and pushing back a little bit on his assumptions and she's a vehicle for him to get alter perspective because that's what he wants he's wanting to get alternate perspectives from you know the criminals he wants to ask them why they're committing crimes he wants to know the the motivating factors behind why people do things he finds that she studies sociology at university and he wants to know more about that she's talking about re, um academics and, and writers who she's reading and, and is aware of and he doesn't even know who they are and she's actually a pathway for him into further study and um i've actually gone ahead and watched a couple more episodes because i actually really enjoyed this show it powered straight through it um and he wants to go and study more he wants to know what she knows that he doesn't know and what he's missing he's very driven by curiosity i think that she's a trigger and and a bit of an enabler for his curiosity and that's why their relationship is important and he's clearly a product of the time too they go and see a movie which i still haven't worked out what movie they see but effectively Dog Day Afternoon, and there's a there's a gay a gay couple, and there's uh, a bit of a, a twist in terms of yeah, there's a trans something character. to do with yeah. he's, he's yeah. a trans character. Yeah, he's from, so he's from the he's bank got, girlfriend, yeah, yeah, and he's like, I don't, I couldn't even work out, like you know, and he's so behind the times, and she's really prog- she's really progressive in her thoughts, mm-hmm. and 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 you're right, she's pushing him to think a bit differently, and then he goes, as you said, Jake, he goes, they go to different um, police stations that need help with training. And he sees the real backwater, the really institutionalized thinking of, you know, how, how police, police yeah. how they think. And then he's kind of shocked by that. And and the bloke they pair him up with is kind of yep. both. He's, and Bill, Bill's got kind of a, a, a boot in both camps. Mm. And, I, you know, Holden really wants to be progressive, but he's, He's been so institutionalized, he doesn't really know how. And I think Correct. you're right, Christian. That's that's the vehicle. She's the vehicle to get him thinking. Mm. But I, I love I love the thought process of him even just lecturing in the police station. Mm. He's, he thinks of questions and asks them to the room. And he's, he's kind of thinking out loud and instead of like going, this is what I think. And then he asks the question and they bounce back things off him. And then he kind of processes that and moves on to his next question. I, I really like that you can kind of see his mind thinking with each, yes. each response and with, and with each each different answer that he wasn't expecting. Yep, but he stuffs that up, right? Because he's actually, he's, he's, his process is completely inappropriate for the setting that he's in and the police, the frontline police push back against him and they, he's talking about, you know, how fascinating Charles Manson is and, and, and trying to understand why, why Charles Manson did things. He's talked about Charles Manson's background only to find out that there's actually a police officer in the, in the room who, he used to be LAPD and he wasn't, didn't work on the Charles Manson murders, but he happened to have been there or happened to have friends who worked on it. And so he's very conscious about how 
bad of a person he was. And he t- that guy talks about how the institutions failed and the police actually did the right thing. They arrested him years ago, but you know, he got let out for some, whatever reason. And, and that com- and then um, Bill actually pulls uh, Holden up out afterwards and says, that was entirely inappropriate. You shouldn't have done that because you're, you're making it, you're a lot smarter than, than these guys. That makes them uncomfortable. And it means we can't actually educate them. So you actually see Holden fail, which is really important from a show perspective. Cause we don't really see that in the plot of other shows, certainly not in the blacklist. We never see red fail. Mm. No, you see him fail twice. You see him fail in the opening scene as well, and yes. you see him fail in this. Except in the opening scene, Jake, he he didn't fail no. pursuant to to police culture, yeah. right? He sees it as a failure. Yes, they don't. That's right. And his director yeah. says that the director says that was a great success. Mm. You know, the only person who died was the the hostage taker, and and Holden says, no, no, no. He, you know, we we should have been a negotiator. Why did that guy do that act? It doesn't make any sense. I need to figure out why. And the director said, no, no, no. That was a brilliant job. Perfect A plus work. Do more of that. Yeah, but he, he even says, you know, in this right in his next lecture that zero casualties are, the, are their goal. Yeah, that's his mm. personal goal. Where there's no body bags is what he says, and mm-hmm. and you can tell that no no civilian deaths and no uh, hostage deaths. Are, that's the FBI's goal. Cool. So it, mm. it's really interesting that he's already thinking in a different adventure to these the old dinosaur way of thinking. And I I love that you see the the character progress in the first episode. Yeah. Like you're with him, for, you're with him for a few weeks because obviously your relationship improves mm. with his girlfriend, and you see that progression happening. His curiosity grows. Yeah, um, you don't see him as a superhero right away. You see him learn and develop, and you're with him on this journey. How great is the scene where, where Holden's talking to the FBI director and he's saying the FBI needs to change. Society's changing. Nature of crime is changing. Um, you know, we can't just go around hiring uh, accountants and 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 I think he says G-men or you know people like law, like hardcore law enforcement guys. And the director says, "Oh, well, it's a problem anyway. We can't get any more accountants. They, they take better jobs elsewhere." And you just see this juxtaposition between this guy's progressive, forward-thinking, saying, "I know exactly what we need to do. We need to be hiring different people." And the FBI is still like, "Oh, you're only hiring other people who aren't." you know, accountants because we can't get enough of them. And they're, they're mm-hmm. wanting to have very rigid institutionalized processes. They still want, they love the FBI of Herbert Hoover's day. Um, Holden actually reminisces about when he first joined the agency, his first job was kind of chasing Vietnam um, deserters, like people who deserted from the armed forces and were trying to escape across to Canada. So they didn't have to go back. And he, that you can see how the FBI of, of that era is very different to the FBI or it's, cha- it, it, it's not so different from the FBI of the era he's in, but he can see that it has to change. And and that's why the pairing with Bill is so important. Those two make such a good team mm. is because Bill has that front line experience on how to talk to people and how to get those ideas in a non-progressive world yes. to get them to, to think that way. And he's so they're not psychologists though. And no. so it's you can see that we're building towards needing a team of people mm. and it, it leads perfectly into the next episode, whereas he need they need a psychologist or they need someone to build, and we know that yep. that comes don't, don't later. So, but but that's 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 where it's heading. Yep. This this is and this is really beautifully paced in terms of not leading the audience anywhere, but letting it kind of happen naturally. Mm-hmm. None of it feels like dialogue bashing you over your your head to yeah. set it up. And what I love about this episode as well, you get about three quarters of the way through, and they get given this interesting case. This case you know a a mother was murdered with her son and it was really gruesome and why do people do this and you in the back of your mind you think he's going to solve this he's going to look at a few photos and he's going to go he's going to go yep i've got the answer this is the guy you're looking for because that's what that's what tv shows expect you to do and then he turns around and says i can't help you because we don't have 
we're not prepared for this. We don't know. Yeah. We don't know. And and that that almost floored me because yeah. and I was like, well, he's not going to solve it. What are you, what are you talking about? And I'm thinking this is the show. This is the, was what the show is going to do. They want to understand the, the the criminal first, and then they'll start because he he could give he could give speculation, he could give theories, but he's not willing to do that because he doesn't have he doesn't know. Doesn't and that, that, I love that about mm. this show. The, the cool thing about this show is that most of these shows are geared towards stopping crimes, right? Mm-hmm. And so most of these precise police procedures and the blacklist is about something's about to go down, and we've got a time frame, and we're going to stop that thing from happening, right? This is about understanding patterns of criminal behaviour after they've occurred. These yeah. guys are useless at stopping that they'll find the criminal, but these these things will continue. And in fact, the more crimes that they've got from this one person, the more data they have, and the more likely they are to catch them. But they they're not ahead of the curve. They're they're not able to to be supermen and be like he's this is the next victim and like they can't just move stuff around minority report on a no, big screen no no and there's no and, doctor and, house saying oh we go to this address at this date and time and you'll save the save the girl you know no. yes well, so this look, this is look at a picture and be like oh that that's out of place right there you should look at that that's the answer here's the person exactly yeah. these are guys that are building methodically questions that they need to answer with the data that they've got and putting a puzzle and giving some indications about who they might be looking for and then it's the old-fashioned police work that gets this stuff solved if you've looked at these documentaries that are plentiful at the moment about 70s serial killers they are about building methodically building a case and trying to put together to put it through some sort of reasoning about why this might be happening um and that's all these guys are trying to do is is give give ip to police departments and that's a fascinating look that's very different from any normal police procedural which is a really different look it's a really great look behind the curtain on how the institution of the FBI and I suppose uh, behavioral science and and criminal profiling and criminology kind of kind of developed and changed in that in that yeah sort of late nineteen seventies or mid nineteen seventies whatever it is era, fascinating stuff. You do and it, you wouldn't think it would be a topic for a TV show, and if it was, you wouldn't think it would be any good. And yet this show, actually, absolutely smashes it out of the park. Yeah, and and just it, it looks great and it looks grimy and it gives it it's got a real nineteen seventies grime vibe. Yep. the actors are brilliant. Brilliantly cast. I love the fact that Holden is played um, by the guy who voices Kristoff in Frozen, yes. and we get to see Kristoff's ass. Like, is that not just but, great? But he's also Jesse Sank. He's also a, a theatrical person as well. He does musical theatre. Oh, lovely. So, yeah. So it, it's a, it's a really interesting choice of casting. Not who I would have thought. Because I I kept thinking, I know this guy. Where do I know this guy from? And it, it turns out, <laughs> Glee. Yeah. Which is anyway. I really want to talk about quickly about the intro sequence, with, which has a sort of atmospheric music being played over like a recording device being set up, but it's it just it's sort of spliced with images of dead bodies, corpses that you only see on the screen for they flash on the screen for a second or two. I actually doubted that what I was seeing like when I first saw it because it just happened it sort of flashes on and flashes off, and I thought that was a really interesting, very clever way of of putting together like a quick intro sequence of the credits and all that sort of stuff. Because it kind of encapsulates the show. It's all about listening. It's all about methodical research and putting the work in. And then you just see this these flashes of you know gruesome, violent behaviour that um, up here on the screen. It's, it's very, it's very seven. Mm. If you if you think back to the, yes. the the seven vibes and Fight Club, they're very well edited, mm. you know, stylistically. But particularly the intro to Seven is the serial killer building his book, and it's 
really cut slice with with Trent Reznor music over the top. Mm. It's um yeah, and I mean that's a Fincher thing, I think. And um, he you can tell his his fi- fingerprints are all over this. Yeah. Okay. So do, do we want to do like a bit of a a, a, re- a recap or a, what which one we preferred? Yeah. Well, I'll go. I'll go first on this one. Um, I I wonder if see I try I tried to watch Mindhunters about three years ago when it first came out and I really struggled with the pacing of it. I think I just wasn't in the right place to watch it. And I, and I think it, it could be, I weren't, I wasn't ready. That's exactly right. I was not ready for this show. And I think that could turn a lot of people off with the pacing of it. Hmm. Um, how it, there's no action at all in this first episode. No. I'm not very first scene. Like there's literally no action. There's no Sherlock moment. There's no anything that really goes, aha, this, this is, and, but I think the problem with this show that I find is that you're not leading to what the, the actual point of this show is you're, you're building to it but you're not you're not giving any indication of where it's going yeah and i think if you're basing it solely on a pilot alone that's a fail for me mm-hmm. because you're getting there but you're giving no indication of what's going to happen what you should have finished with in my personal opinion is them going maybe we should go and talk to the prisoners giving mm-hmm. that little glimpse of what's going to, the show is going to be because at the moment this show is about two guys traveling to police stations and trying to learn about how they do things and in, in, the, in the most simplistic way of me describing it and i think that's a big fail for this show in the, in the pilot i haven't seen any more and i'm going to because i really want to see what happens mm. but i think as a pilot i'm not sold on this is 100 percent the best way to introduce a pilot for new members watching it without having any information about where the show's going. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think it's a very fair criticism, and I, I do agree, but I found the first episode compelling enough with just the hints and, I suppose, the the, the suspense that was being built and, and the, 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 the there was enough of a pull there for me to go in, enough of a hook to go and actually watch the second episode and then the third and then the fourth, which I, I just basically binged four episodes last night because I thought it was sensational. Um, so I, I do take that point. If you're looking at, just looking at the pilot episode, they don't really explain what the sort of conceit of the show is and what the whole thing's going to be about. That That is a weakness, but I found the first episode with the character development and the story and the pacing and the sort of institutional stuff that's going on, I thought that was really good and it was enough to get me to go watch the second and third and fourth episodes where it's all sort of come together. And um, it, it, yeah, so I, I totally take that point, but I think that it was still a very strong pilot episode if you're looking for that kind of thing, if you want like an action-y Monster of the Week type thing, go watch The Blacklist. Um, James Spader is sensational. I'll never say a bad word about him. So James, you know, if slash when you listen, you know, <laughs> feel free to come on the podcast in character as Red if you want. I'd also love to see you come on the character in character as Alan Shaw or um, I'll, I'll take 30 seconds with the man. 30 seconds. Uh, yeah, I, yeah I, I, I'm, I, I am intrigued by what's going to happen because I know the, the concept of the show. Now, I try very hard to stop at one episode, which I have done for both these. I only watched one episode of each. And if I'm going to keep watching to see what happens, is I'm going to watch, I'm going to watch uh, Mindhunters every day of the week mm. because I know what's going to happen with, with Blacklist. It's, it's not a surprising show to me. I'm not, I'm not super curious to see what their relationship's going to be like. Yeah. I, I, I'm, already, I'm already kind of, I can already picture in my mind what's going to be. And when I get the inevitable answer, it's not going to shock me. Where Mindhunters, I feel like there's a, there's a few twists and turns still coming. Mm. And the fact that David Fincher is attached to it is going to hook me every single day of the week. Yeah. Even though I wasn't ready for it three years ago. I think if I could, if I could get the Blacklist uh, Shannon director's cut with uh, just James Spader talking to a room full of people or yep. in, uh, giving his backstory, I think that would be pretty compelling. I'd be pretty torn then. 
this is this is a cla- this is almost an unfair comparison to be honest because mm. this is the difference between a network television that has to sell advertisers and advertising versus something that can method- methodically build into a into a multi-part movie effectively yeah. now you know the the reason that the blacklist is the way it is is it's an NBC show so it has to sell it has to squeeze into an hour or so forty five minutes of television forty seven minutes of television with five ad breaks or whatever it is and it has to be compelling enough that when the ads are over that you still remember what was going on and it has to be fast paced Mindhunter doesn't give a shit about your pacing right mm. Mindhunter doesn't care if you watch almost watch the next episode it's like we're going to do this this is an eight part yeah, series that we're going to let you watch and we're just going to slow burn it if this was a network television show it would not survive it would never have been made to pilot this is why Netflix and the streaming services are so important A and that's why we're getting so much good content the, the great content that's come out of America in the last 15, 20 years have all been on HBO or anything that doesn't have to sell advertising space. So it's almost it's almost unfair. As, a, as a network audience, we have been conditioned to wait for the explosion and something important is going to happen. It's the 24 issue, right? Mm. 24, the, it had to have exciting incident around about the half hour mark, like with a countdown timer. Like it's, it's the same issue. And Mindhunter is something that you can just let it, wash over you for so long it i'm not surprised you didn't stop after after one episode because it's intended to just be binged mm. it's intended that way yeah, yeah I, I i agree with you on that show but I, i'm going to compare it to shows like deadwood um because it's an hbo show mm. and i think the, the, the pacing is very similar in just giving you the information nothing really exciting happening in the first episode only because i think deadwood explain the characters perfectly but still give you enough to know what's going on in the show that's true if you're watching one episode of mine hunters on netflix <clears throat> sorry one one episode of mine hunters to give it one chance as people do they don't give it two or three they give it one there is not enough information to what the show is going to be in that first episode and i think it's a big negative on the show and I, I really think they could have done a little bit a little bit more give me five more minutes of what the show is going to be, and I think it would have made it a perfect, near perfect pilot. You probably could have yeah, done I, I, yeah, and I and I think I think you can probably bring Bill in a little bit earlier, and that trip can happen a little bit earlier, and you could you could potentially bring in some other another character that becomes more important down the line earlier, and a bit of a putting the team together, and the, the team getting together is the catalyst for the next step. Could all happen in that one episode, but I, I just think the way it's shot and the and the suspense and the tension that it, it ramps up through that period is enough for me to to hook me into that episode. That just just the vibe and the and the wash of it makes makes it enough for me. I take the point. I was hooked on Blacklist five minutes in, mm-hmm. like in terms of a popcorn sit on your ass and watch a watch a, a pilot. That introduction to Spader, I was like, give me Spader. Just where Spado, bring more. I'm 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 down. All Spado, Whereas, all the time. <laughs> I'd 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 watch the shit out of that. James Spado presents James Spado. I would. I'm all over that. Like I'm I'm absolutely there. I I I think I think in terms of the better show, Mindhunter is is. If you put the two together, Mindhunter is clearly the better show in terms of production value and acting and everything else. Yeah. In terms of a pilot episode, man, I'm with you. Blacklist does a better job of hooking the audience. It's true. I'm absolutely with you. Yep, I'll concede that. I think <laughs> I think you guys are right. Um, so it is a bit of a it is a bit of a, a difficult topic for us to, to to sort of figure out. Then um, 
because yeah. I think I think this comes down to which one are you going to watch, continue to watch. If, you, yeah. if you're going to choose one to continue to watch, which one would you go? I'm going. I, mean, I, I go. I'm going. I'm going Mindhunters myself. Yep, I've already gone Mindhunter. I'm I'm up to episode four or five now. So. And I know, and if I was telling the audience to watch anything, it's it's Mindhunters because it is it is a long form movie shot by David Fincher, and Fincher barely misses in terms of of his movies. When you're talking Gone Girl, you're talking Seven, Fight Club, like the guy's just just keeps ticking ticking along in terms of his films. We don't talk about Benjamin Button for obvious reasons, <laughs> um, but he he's got the runs on the board, and and it is. It is just a, a really slow burn, and, but it's something you've got to watch and pay attention to. The blacklist is is absolute popcorn stuff, yeah. um, and and that's and that's a difference. And there's nothing wrong with either of those. And I don't want to be disparaging to people who like fast paced popcorn TV shows. No, that's not. that's absolutely okay. It's just Mindhunter suits my my needs better, and I just I I love and revel in the production value and the way it's really methodically stepped out. You can see. What's happening? Yeah, I, I don't want to say anything bad about the blacklist. Cause I think it's a really, I think it's a really good TV show for if that's what you like watching. The the, the thing about this podcast is we sit down and we, we really break down what's going on and what what yeah. each kind of act, who's doing what, and we really analyze it to the point where you know we have a podcast about it because that's the, what we do. But I, I I think when you really sit back and look at it, comparing these two shows is very unfair. What Shannon said, but it, it depends on what you want to watch. Really, at the end of the day. That's right. Maybe the failure was ours in, in pairing these shows. Maybe they weren't quite the best mix. They they are linked thematically, but maybe the pilot episode, maybe the formats of the the, the design and construction of the show, the shows make them very difficult to compare. We compared Game of Thrones to How I Met Your Mother. I we know. don't we don't fly with convention. All, like, well, but also we're we're watching shows based on the pilot alone, and I've never said. I mean, I've forgotten all about Mindhunters, so it was really watching Mindhunters for the first time. Yep. And I think as you did, Christian, you watched it for the first. I'd time never as well. heard of it until until um, Shannon so mentioned we it. We don't know, and and it's, that's why it's, this is such an awesome exercise because we're comparing things that we we think might be linked, but then we when we sit down and break them down, they're really not linked at all. And the, I. The, the, the idea is to get people watching new shows, and and I think we've done that. And if you haven't seen Mindhunters, or if you've somehow missed Blacklist, they're both quality shows, mm. and you will not be disappointed with either. One of them largely because of the performance of Spader, and one of them largely just because it's a well crafted universe that that is absolutely worth watching. And there's shitloads of subtext and context that sits within that, and it kind of gives you an understanding of why the Blacklist is popular. When someone says the FBI to three idiots in in Melbourne, Victoria, Australia, we have an understanding based on what we've seen. And that's largely because of what's been distilled from the guys who are, are kind of the, 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 the reason that Mindhunters exists. Yes. Like we, we have an understanding about what the FBI does because of those guys. And I think that's really important to go back and actually pull behind the curtain and see why we have this vision of the FBI so that the blacklist works. Because mm. as soon as he steps into the FBI building, it comes with all of this subtext we've already got. That's what's cool about Mindhunter is it is genuinely a look behind the psychology behind crimes and criminality, and that that's really cool. It, it's my wheelhouse, absolutely my wheelhouse. If you mm. if if you know anything about me, it's also a really great um, a really great exploration and, and insight into how institutions change very slowly over time. And um, it's it's only by people constantly trying and putting effort in that you start to make traction and, and, and making shifts in the way institutions function and their approaches to things. And I, I think I think you get a really nice view of that in Mindhunter, which you don't really tend to see, you know, in a lot of other cases. So so that's it. I mean I think I think the 
it's a bit of a mixed bag here. I think what we're saying is both are worthy of mm, absolutely of your time. Definitely. But uh, you know, I think and, and they're both freely available now on Netflix, and and just about everyone's got Netflix. So we'd we'd probably tell you to watch watch two of these shows. Probably depending on what what mood you're in, mm, is the show you pick definitely to start with. But but give them a go. And Spade is awesome. I think is that is that what we've got out of this episode? It's a very good way of doing it. But I think also a really good way to judge if you want to watch it is watch uh, watch uh, Blacklist first, then watch Mindhunters as we did, and then see which pace you want to go. I think that's, that's a very good way to see which direction you want to go based on these shows. Watch them back to back. It's a really interesting change of pace. And then it depends on which pace you want to follow. Yeah, definitely. And if you if you watch a show and um, you just start binging it, let us know. Tell us tell us what happened. Yeah. What, what was the hook? What kept you going? We want to hear about it. It'd be great. Fan, some really fantastic um, feedback. Yep. So you can talk to us on Twitter, on Facebook. Facebook. What are the other ones? Facebook. Yeah. All those ones that people go through. Smoke signal. Anyway, you want to do it. Instagram yeah, carry anyway, vision. we're happy to happy to talk to you. And of course, this episode is brought to you by Jim's Black Suits. You want a blue suit? Get the f- out of here. All right, you ready to call the outro? Yep. Talent's here. Let's go. All right, you want to warm up or anything first? No, I'm nope. good. <clears throat> okay, hit me. Now remember, no cliches, funny, light. It's a podcast. Go. In a world. Always do this. It's the first one. But that's, that's it's what, the most but obvious. But one. that's what good trailers. No, no, just no. On the edge of space. Shand. Bedroom. House, podcast, us, go. Jurassic Park meets Twilight. Imagine it. Yeah, yeah. We're a podcast. We're not a movie. Dun, dun, dun. We podcast. Us talking about movies. Is it just, just No, no, just go. Is it because the, no, ger- the T-Rex no. has little arms and couldn't stab him in the chest with a stack? Go. A rooster and a cat are friends? I know you're a cock. This, come on, movies, podcasts, it's us talking about them, go. Two idiots have a podcast, they talk about movies and nonsense. If you'd like to join in that conversation, you can hit them up on masspodcasters at gmail.com or talk to them on Facebook. Is that so hard? Yeah, my voice hurts a little, I've got a tickle and I actually think Jurassic Park and Twilight as a crossover would work. <sighs> Shut up.